Welcome back guys to Habeas Corpses. I have Alex and we're going to be doing a redo <laughs> this uh, episode. Um, we're taking a look at the Coen Brothers film No Country for Old Men, which we already did an episode on, but we were both suffering from extreme allergic reactions to stuff in the atmosphere. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> um but yeah, we're going to be talking about this film. This film uh, doesn't necessarily fit in the horror category. It doesn't necessarily fit in the true crime category. It fits in a plethora of categories. But like um, itself, it has a lot of uh, concepts that I think can relate to both. Right. For instance... Um, in the horror character himself, um, I'm going to slaughter his name. Anton Sugar. Yeah. Like it's like the, Sugar with the ch. The last the name. name, I just can't do it, but I'm just going to call him Anton the whole. No problem. <laughs> but he is, he his character embodies kind of like, he reminds me of like a Michael Myers or an It Follows. He's always after right. you. Right. Okay. I'm glad you said that. Um <laughs> So we'll talk about, at some point, some of the different concepts that people think are really tied into the film. And one of them is that Anton Chigurh represents death. And that there's a, a theme of inevitability. Um, oh, yeah. Of uh, probability and inevitability in the film. And Chigurh represents death. And he very much has a very like a zombie, not eat your brain, but you, no matter how much you run, you can't escape. Uh, same with something like It Follows. Yeah, there. He, I guess let's just because the film literally opens with Tommy Lee Jones's character, right. um, given a narrative. Yeah, a little uh, soliloquy. Yeah, and we're first actually introduced. I think the first character on screen is Sugar. Sugar. <laughs> it's either Sugar or the uh, police officer. Um, I think it's just basically an establishing shot that shows just how far away they are. Yeah, they're uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we see a man with the worst haircut on the planet being arrested and taken in. And this is as Tommy Lee Jones is talking about how crime has gotten so much worse and the people who are committing crimes are so much worse than they were. He tells the story about a, a guy who killed a woman just to kill her. Yeah. And, and this is a, something along the lines of, they said it was a crime of passion. But when I talked to him, he said it wasn't. Ain't no passion about it. And it was his testimony that got him the electric right. chair because yeah. they said, if you let me out, I'll do the same yeah. thing again. I'll do it again. Going to hell. Be there in 15 minutes. Yeah. I remember when I saw that in theaters, I heard that and I was like, I don't think this movie is what I'm going to expect it to be. Because that's a very dark line to you know set up a movie with. And it really does a great job of setting up just the dread that this film has. Oh, 100%. When I first seen this movie, it was in when it was released in like 2007. I yep. hated it at first. But I was also was an immature piece of garbage that didn't appreciate cinema for actual quality. Right. I was just more into ooh, action films, explosions, <laughs> things Michael like Bay. that. And I sure hope he makes a Ninja Turtles movie. He's the best. <laughs> yeah, and horror movies as much killing as possible but um later when i revisited this film i definitely grew to to appreciate it and i was telling you earlier every time i watch this film i'm left 
with more questions in my head and philosophical like okay what do they mean by this right and like diving deeper in a rabbit hole with this film right um but yeah so the opening shot establishes uh we don't even see sugar's character yet because i was um doing some like uh research into this he's not you don't actually get a full face with this character it's all silhouetted um from his haircut to his clothing but we don't see his face until we cut to the police station mm-hmm. and this officer's on the phone and he's you know saying yeah, i had this weird cylinder thing and, yeah i think this for emphysema it's but, very like y- yeah you can tell he's very much the officer in i guess sugar as well very much in this small part of town very unassuming and it plays again very strongly into that uh, line that uh, tommy lee jones's character ed tom talks about how crime is so bad you can't begin to understand how much more terrible it's gotten yeah. since my father was a, a deputy oh exactly He's, and, he, he even talks about the good old days when the deputies like almost going back to like the andy griffin show mm-hmm. or something where we didn't carry guns back then you know yeah. and um again setting up that sense of of uh, difference between how it is and how it was. We have, uh, as you mentioned, that Sugar comes into focus as uh, in the foreground. We have this officer on the phone making a phone call. Uh, you yeah, got him here. Real... He'll let you take a look at the the emphysema can when you get here. And as he goes to hang up the phone, that's when Sugar. You see him in the background. He's maneuvering his hands very, very purposefully, not very swiftly. But with intention. With intention and purpose. And and that's when he strangles and kills the police officer in a very brutal death scene. Yeah. This this is the the one thing that I I love about this scene, but I I find it very disturbing as well, is we don't even see Shakur yet. We see a struggle ensuing. We see these uh, handcuffs cutting into this officer's you know, throat area. We see him struggling at his feet. And then about halfway through the kill, we get this really wide shot and we finally see Shigeru's face. And it's madness on his face. It is pure, like, this damn guy is a great actor in this film. Uh, uh, Harvey Bordem is great in everything that he does. And he's got this amazing smirk on his face while he's literally choking the life out of this guy yeah like blood splurting everywhere there's streaks all over the floor from his boots from kicking and then after he's dead business as usual very casually takes the handcuffs off you see him washing his hands in the sink as if it's just another day in the office yeah washing the blood away grabs his canister that we at this point don't know what it does yeah and he leaves and then uh, you have the switcheroo where he has the police car pulls someone over then we find out uh, it's some sort of a weapon. We don't know what weapon it is. Yeah. We're... Uh, well, the casual viewer doesn't. Um, if you've worked on a farm, you probably know what it is. Um, I know some people who knew. Like, oh, that's what that was. I knew what it was right, right away. away. Um, pulls a man over, has him put this nozzle end to his forehead. The man's honestly you know, confused, has no idea what's going on. You hear this. <laughs> and then just and all blood sudden... splatters and guy falls down. Sugar sells his car. And then uh, that's that, as they say. That, that's the opening uh, that's of the movie. The opening it of the really movie. really is. And it shows, in my opinion, it shows just how smart 
the villain is. This isn't a, a villain who uses uh, power or intimidation. It's someone who is incredibly smart, and it's a health. It's 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 a breath of fresh air. I yeah. love the idea that it's not. Oh, he's just so overpowering and strong, or it's just dumb luck. He's he's bad because he has lots of money, stuff like that. We don't know what his motivations are. And what's even more interesting is throughout the movie, we don't know what his motivation is at all. No. We have every every connection that you have to the character ends up dying off. And yeah. you don't know why he's doing what he's doing, who's asked him to do it. And you, you just know that he's motivated by he's uh, an assuming retrieving hitman. something. Yeah. But we don't know who hired him. We know who's trying to stop him and how he stops those people. Um, and again, it's he doesn't necessarily overpower uh, people with strength. He outsmarts them. So yeah. I mean, you could argue, oh, he overpowered that guy at the very beginning. Oh, he outsmarted that guy in the beginning, the police officer. He also leaves uh, people very unas- unassuming of like his, his wit and everything. Like, right. you know... Look at how he just, I mean, I know we don't even see why he's getting pulled over by this officer. We just know. And the officer's totally like unassuming, like, oh, he almost doesn't explain anything to anyone. So they can't even catch on. He's like, I think it's an emphysema machine. Yeah. Um, do you want to touch on what that is real quick? It's a, uh, well, we, we end up finding out what it is um, in a discussion with Tommy Lee Jones's character. And another is, character. Okay. Um, and, and one of the more interesting scenes um when we get there we we can talk about it okay. but uh, i think it's very interesting the way that they throw it in because again it's not a throwaway line it's not oh here's something addition it's just kind of showing how overwhelmed tommy lee jones's character is and just how frustrated he is with his position as what he thinks he should be and what he actually is that yeah. internal struggle and so we, we've basically set the whole film up in tone mood everything mm-hmm. from this what first five minutes yeah the only, yeah the only thing we don't have is necessarily plot a plot yet but we have everything we need to know about one of the main characters and we also we also film. um i found it very interesting there's no score to this film yeah um it's very small bits of music uh it's usually something like a long ominous um, note that's held out uh, it's very faint in the background. There's no official score for the film. <laughs> in fact, someone that I was uh, reading their little opinion of some things on the film, they're like, and you can credit the score to being wind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're I mean, like, that's, that's but, basically it. But that works with this film because the tension with the lack of score is there because the dialogue is delivered so well. Right. And the pacing is perfect as well. Um, this movie, I never feel okay, move along, or, oh, geez, I wish they would have spent more time talking about X, Y, or Z here. There's no dragging in this movie, which is, again, I'm, I think we may have mentioned this before. I know we did on the Allergy podcast. <laughs> this is my all-time favorite film, and that's one of the big reasons why. There's no lulls in this movie. I never get bored. There's no dry spots. No matter how many times I watch it, I'm always engaged. Oh, yeah, same here. And that's, so we get the opening and now we're thrust into our, I wouldn't call him our hero character. 
Well, what makes this movie interesting, as we begin to discuss it, is who is the protagonist in this movie? I don't really think there is one. It's Ed Tom. It's Tommy Lee Jones' character. Is it? This entire movie is about him. It's named after him. It begins with him. The character change comes from him. Yeah. But we're really not introduced to him until well into the the film. film. Yeah. And this is where we begin to follow... um, Josh Brolin's character, Llewellyn Moss. Yeah, and he's out there. He's, I don't think he's legally hunting. Yeah, he's assumed he's poaching as he picks up his. He shoots an antelope, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm not a zoologist. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I can tell you about phobias, but when it comes to animals, it's kitty and <laughs> no, Popo. no, you're totally. Uh, he's, he's hunting some sort. And um, fires, hits but not kill. Yeah, picks up the cartridge. Uh, and wanders off to find the antelope, elk, moose, gazelle, uh, kangaroo that he shot. And on his way, he notices a dog. Yeah, a limping dog. Limping away. And he's like, what the hell? So he goes in the direction that it's coming from. And that's when we get this, um, it was a Mexican standoff, I guess is what you would uh, call it. You're just saying that because they, they were Mexican. <laughs> no. Uh, I think a Mexican think... standoff is. Yeah, I watched... Did you not watch Quentin Tarantino films? What, what are we talking about here? Where two people are holding a gun to each other. <laughs> That's a Mexican standoff. No, uh, I, but I think one of the deputies it, clearly refers to it as a Mexican standoff in the film. He's like, oh, uh, it looks like we had ourselves a Mexican standoff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a drug deal gone wrong. Uh, trucks shot up dog. Uh, shot up trucks. And one man who's been shot sitting in a truck that Llewellyn comes into contact with. <laughs> Yeah, he um, would. Would you approach a scene like that if you were ever out in the desert, or would you just like uh, call the authorities? I don't. I don't know. Because um, I, 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 what I wanted to say is like, me and Craig were talking about this because he kind of jumped in a little bit on the movie when I was watching it, and I was like, dude, would you have? thought to look for a transponder in the money he's like well no but i've seen this movie so i would now yeah right (laughs) but like like i'm thinking here on this scene i'm like i want to say i would never approach a scene that looked like that but that's because i've seen the movie probably in retrospect i would have went down there to see what the hell was going on i i think i curiously would have been but when i saw someone there i would have freaked out Uh, i think it's also in another time too because you could have your cell phone with you and the off you call while investigating um and like with the transponder thing that's such a relatively unknown technology back in the time of the film yeah so let's just i think that's important for the audience to know that if you haven't seen this film it does not play out in modern day right i would say it's the early 80s i want to say it's the late 70s early 80s yeah somewhere around there so yeah um mr moss goes down there and he's um investigating this whole scene taking it all in finds that man and he's trying to figure out like okay there's got to be one other person yeah he asked him where the ultimate hombre is last man standing the guy just keeps asking for water um he's clearly not in a good way in fact uh character the man in the truck oh yeah uh llewellyn takes the gun from him takes that uh 
little SMG. Yeah, that little. That he's got yeah, it's like an M- MP5 or right. something. And I'm sorry, we were talking about Goldeneye earlier. So <laughs> that's related to. to it was Goldeneye. an RCP90. <laughs> he took his club. <laughs> and he found the golden gun in the back of the truck. Found the golden gun. But and then he literally like he said, "Fuck this! It's the slappers only. <laughs> no odd job." <laughs> Sorry. Reaches into his even into like his uh, jacket and grabs the extra clips yeah, and everything. Grabs a magazine from him. He, uh, th- that guy's just he doesn't give a shit, man. Yeah. He just wants water. Yeah. And then, um, so it's a what's great about this is it's established without establishing, which we've talked about before when talking about really shitty movies. It's established that uh, Josh Brolin's character knows how to track. Because he's yeah. tracking, you don't even think about it. He shot the gazelle, elk, antelope thing, and he was able to track and find it. Dog was shot, able to track where the dog came from. And it's again, it's not something they're like, well, I I know how to track people because I'm a I'm a tracker. I'll track the man. Yeah, it's we don't have to worry about that because we know the movie showed us by having him do that, and so we. Um, Cut to him now chasing, not not I guess chasing is probably a bad word, but following the path where he would assume that someone went. And he talks about how and wouldn't backtrack, but considering the heat, if he's stopping, he's going to stop in yeah, some shade. I, I love that scene, too, because he's, he's in this open prairie. And we can see that this character, he's doing a great job of acting the fact that he's thinking in his brain. Right. And then he kind of stops and explains it so us, the audience, get it. Mm-hmm. He's like... Mm. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't come back in. Wouldn't come in. back. Uh, yeah, and then talks about go that way, but I would rest stop, in shade. Stop in the shade. And sure enough, there's a dead man with a giant Suitcase. briefcase thing full of money. Another free gun. And, yeah, it's two million dollars that's in that yeah, case. Like some two point, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and takes the money, goes home, and this is. Again, I love this freaking scene. Um, um, there was another movie I was watching that does this classically where it's right. like you ask what's in the case. He tells you and you don't believe him because she's like, what's in the suitcase? Bunch of money. Oh, that'll, yeah, sure. That'll be the day. <laughs> God, what movie was I watching the other day that that was the exact same ploy? But yeah, I mean, sometimes the truth, <laughs> you can send it and no one will believe you. Keep talking. Keep running their mouth, <laughs> take you in the back, and screw you. Uh, they have really, really good chemistry. Um, the um, what is his uh, wife's character's name? Do you remember? Uh, I, I can't remember. It's just I, I'm pulling it up right now because I wanted to find the name of the actress because I could, I always remember her name until uh, it's time to remember what her <laughs> name is. Carla Jean. It's Kelly McDonald. Carla Jean Moss. It's uh, she was the voice of the main character in Brave. That's always where I remember her from. Uh, obviously, yeah. that and and No Country for Old Men. But they have really good chemistry, and they're only on the in the in the movie together together for, for like, maybe five minutes total. Yeah, that's it. And they have really good chemistry together. And we get this establishing, well, not establishing shot. We get this shot that's reworked two more times in the film, mm-hmm. and that's when he sits down with her at the couch, and they're kind of watching tv living their life you know things go yeah, on yeah very simple life and then they go to and i want to i want to return to that because it happens with two other characters on that same couch it's yeah. almost like they're pursuing the rule each of other. three yeah so mm-hmm. 
I'll just talk about it now so we keep yeah. on it. But later in the film, Shigur uh, comes to the home uh-huh. tracking Moss. And he sits in that couch the same way, has a glass of milk, and we get a silhouetted uh, scene of him in that old TV. Right. And then... Uh, Fantastic shot, too. Oh, it is? Yeah. And then Tommy Lee Jones... And the... Does the, the same thing. deputy that he's with. Same thing. He's like, we just barely missed him. What are we going to do? Put in a bulletin for a man who has recently drunk milk? But it's the <laughs> way the way they shoot it. It's like super wide. So you get an encompass of the whole uh, scene. And it's you, you can tell what they're doing right there. It's just trying to figure out what the person was doing there before them. Trying to get into their head. Um, with that being said, he uh, um, Moss gets this... Uh, He's like the biggest mistake he can make in the whole movie. He right. a guilty conscience. He's really not a bad guy the whole film. He's a a good guy that got caught up in a made one bad decision, but throughout the film he proves himself to actually be a pretty decent individual. Right. This is where his guilty conscience comes in. He's like, "Oh, I'm going to take that uh that drug dude some water. He really needed it and that proved right. to be a terrible decision." Uh, and there's also a really great line. Um, the a lot of movies will say, you know, if I don't come back, tell blah blah blah, tell Jimmy, tell Jimmy that he can grow up and be anything. Uh, they really play on that trope where Llewellyn says, um, if I don't come back, you tell Mama I love her. Your mama's dead, Llewellyn. Oh, I'll tell her. I'll tell her myself. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's just like such good dark humor in this movie, and again, it plays on that trope where it's like. If I don't come back, you know that I love you and not, I'll do anything for you. I'll be waiting for you on the other side or something like that. This movie does a very good job at foreshadowing, too. After right. you've seen it a couple times, you're just like, oh, man. But, yeah, he goes out there and uh, gets bound by some drug cartel members. They take the uh, VIN number uh, off of his truck, uh, and they start chasing after him. They have a... A jeep and some dogs mm-hmm. and they're firing at him and, and Llewellyn escapes via the river. Uh, this also introduces us to um, this really awesome twist in the film where we see Sugar pull up and there's two men waiting for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the difference between these two characters, the, sorry, the two characters in Sugar where the two characters, uh, older, older dumpy guys, yeah, the first line it's is like white Texas right. businessman. And the first line from one of the white businessmen is, mind riding, bitch. <laughs> and you can tell there's just this huge difference between the two. Yeah. And you think initially that these two have hired Sugar, that they're, um, you'd say, oh, they've, they've employed him and he's in charge of maybe the Mexican drug gang or um, he's in charge of finding the other half of what happened. And these men hired him. Um Again, he you know, asked for the Scroogey. They already got the, the license number, the uh, VIN numbers. Uh, and he gets the transponder from these two men. And then uh, I love that he asks one to hold the flashlight. And as he holds the flashlight, Sugar pulls out his gun and shoots them both. Yeah, he's like, okay, can you see that back? And gets it back and yeah. points it right in their face. And boom, boom. Yeah. That's that's and how complex this is character is but how little we know about him right we don't we're like what? because it's, yeah it breaks that assumptions like okay so these three are going to be working oh no never mind and he's he's definitely not working with the 
cartel really either. Well, we don't know at the time. Maybe he is working with them. We just know that he's involved somehow. Yeah, because he's like, did you slash the tires? And they're like, no, I think those Mexican dudes did it. Yeah. Um, So we know he's involved somehow. We don't know how. He could be with the cartel, could be opposing. But we know that these people that they've brought in for two minutes that we assume, oh, they're working together. They're absolutely not. Yeah, and they're dead quick. And, like, so he has no remorse for anything he does. Just just, the look he gives them. He's systematic, man. He's like a Terminator. (laughs) I love the look that he gives the two guys that he shoots, too. It's almost like the way you look at a pathetic dog. Not even, there's like a, oh. Or, hmm. Oh, I I love, it's just, again, the acting without saying the the pragmatics of acting. Yeah, and he does that throughout the film. So, Mm -hmm. Now we get this separation again where we're back on um, – no, is this where ta- – or do the sheriffs come into play in this next scene? So, yeah, so there's there's some split here. We have it's like a, Llewellyn in this little section. Llewellyn is going home and he's like, to get Carla Jean out of there. Grab t- grab whatever you can. You're not Anything you don't grab, you're not going to see again. Oh, yeah. Um, we have the scene that you were talking about where – Sugar is going to go to the house because he has the license and the VIN number mm-hmm. of the truck. And, um, excuse me as I'm trying not to burp into the microphone. Uh, Tom Lee Jones and Wendell, the idiot deputy, are going to the uh, to the drug bust. Yeah, and all these scenes almost happen at the same time that I can't really put them in my head which yeah, one's happening it's, it's first. It's fine. Yeah, I'm not sure about the order either. But This was a last minute thing or I would have better notes for you. The... You know, the, they're out of there. They're leaving on a jet plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they, they just skedaddle because he's like, he's basically, he's like, someone's going to call in at 9 o'clock and they're going to show up here because they got my plates. They're going to call into the DMV and they're going to mm-hmm. get the address. So we need to leave, which they do. Um, this is one of the, my favorite scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. So we see... Sugar shows up, he drinks the milk and everything, but that's that's not my favorite part. My favorite part's when he goes into the trailer park headquarters. The manager's office. And you you really get a sense that this guy does live by a set of principles and rules, but he also respects people that live by a set of principles and rules as well. Because he comes in and he asks this lady, he's like, I'm looking for Leon Moss. And she's like, well, did you try his trailer? He's like, yeah, he wasn't there. Well, I assume he's at work. You want to leave a message? When will he be back? When will he? Yeah. And he's like, I ain't got oh, no where, information. Yeah, he's like, where does he work? Yeah. I can't give you that information. Then he tries He tries it really nice at first with a friendly tone. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, tries to intimidate her. Where does he work? I told you. And then finally he goes back to like the nice to try and get it out of her again. Where does he work? didn't I just tail you or are you deaf or something? And you think he's going to kill her. But like in his like click moment, I can see that he's like, okay, you live by your principles and I live by mine and I'm not going to kill you for it. That's just what see, I got from it. Uh, I, I don't think that's right at all. You don't? Because there's a sound. There's someone in the other room. But I mean, clearly he can kill people. There could be right. three people in that but room. But if he doesn't have a gun and all he has is the, the, um, the, 
the cattle prod. <laughs> Uh, he wouldn't be able to kill two people at one time. So uh, my takeaway from that is there's someone else in there. And so it's smarter for him to, to leave, to just leave. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't get it all that. Oh, you have a, you're an annoying woman with a bunch of principles. No, that's uh, what I, because I would assumed it's much like a scene that we can talk about now as well, but like the gas station scene. Yeah. We're almost there to yeah. that scene. That's so, like, that is the number one like scene that stands out to most people in this film is that scene we're coming up on soon. But that was my takeaway is he was like, cause I just think he's, he's got weapons on him. He could have killed them both and yeah. ransacked that place, but he chose not to. Yeah. See with the, the scene coming up, the, the, I know you love talking about in mind, I would assume he would have done something very similar to that woman. Giving her the coin toss. Yeah, giving her the coin toss. But there's someone the, else. The one and only. He doesn't have yeah. two coins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's someone else in the manager's office. And so it's smarter for him to uh, find other ways to get him. And what he does is takes his phone bill. Because the phone bill is in Llewellyn's house. Yeah, it's old school printed. Yeah. Every phone With call telecom. he made. Yeah. Yep, it has all the phone calls that he made listed on his phone bill. And so he... Sugar gets out of there. We go, and that's when, you know, um, the two sheriffs show up at the location. And that's, is that when we're introduced to it's a cattle prod? No, that's when that's... he's talking to to the wife. So, um, this is more of, we're discovering that Ed Tom is a little bit more grounded and very straightforward thinking with his than his counterpart who's a bit of a of an idiot yeah it's so funny because he's like okay you see that door someone's in there go in gun drawn and gun up and the sheriff like the little wendell the wendell he pulls it out he's like he's like what about your gun he's like well i'll be behind you (laughs) i'll be behind you (laughs) and they go in there and that that's where that classic scene that he sits down in the same location realizes that whoever this bad man is has been here just recently, barely missed him. Yep. But he's like, we should. We need to. Wendell's like, we need to put this out over the air. He's like, put what? <laughs> Look yeah. for a man that just drank milk. <laughs> I love that line, and it's the way Tommy Lee Jones delivers it to like you, fucking idiot. Recently drunk milk. <laughs> just I don't know what it is. Just the way he says it always makes me smile because you know just how annoyed he is with with this character, with his, with Deputy Wendell. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that's what leads us into. Um, basically, we catch up with Moss again, and he separates, mm-hmm. puts Carla Jean on mm-hmm. a on a bus. Oh, I've seen lots of stuff. I to work g- at Walmart. Carla Jean, you are now retired. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, just some the great chemistry sure. between those two coming through. Um, puts her on a uh, on a, a bus to go, bus yeah, to to go, go see, see her mother. Home. Yeah. And uh, he goes on his own little. They go to Odessa. Because he's he he knows that people are still after him. He's got to lose these people and mm-hmm. get to a safe place. But like I said, man, it just reminds me of It Follows. Like, it's coming for you, man. Um, but at, at this time, 
he rents this old motel, shitty motel room at, mm-hmm. like, the Stella Inn or something. Yeah. Just one of those one-floor, super basic oh, Motel yeah. 6 type of rundown places. Hides his money in the... Um, the vent shafts? Vent shafts, yeah. yeah. Kind of pushes it back in there into the other room's vent shaft, actually. like he puts He pushes it all the way to the back. He doesn't push it all the way to the other side, but he pushes it all the way... So yeah, push it all the way back to the back vents. Because he's got to go get those other things to retrieve it from the other mm-hmm. room. Yeah, yeah, right? Well, no, no, no. He doesn't know. He's not changing rooms yet. Uh, he's, he puts the, the suitcase uh, full of money all the way in the back. It's not until he comes back to yeah. the hotel that he sees some other people there that he becomes very sketchy about. Yeah, and those other and, people are... Are the Mexican drug dealers? Yeah, they're hunting him as well. Yeah. But I don't. I because think he says, he says, take me around in the back to the the cab driver. I don't want to get into some sort of jackpot, buddy. He's like, I'm trying to get you out of one. I don't even want. I'm trying to get you out. And then that's when he goes to the uh, campy office. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. he, he asks for office. ask for another room. And he initially when he asked for a room, he's like, it's just me, so I really don't care what kind of room I get. He asked for a map. <laughs> Gets the room behind the one that he's in, and that's when the woman goes, "Well, that one's got two double beds." <laughs> he's like, yeah. <laughs> um, "So he, he gets the room directly behind his, and then goes to the camping, the like the outdoor, not just camping, but outdoor stuff." He goes to a gun store and then like yeah. a camping outdoor world yeah. place. Asks for replacement <laughs> poles for a tent. Like, well, we can order him. He's like, "Well, I want a tent now." <laughs> well, no, he We're, says, "No, no, then I'll just take a tent." Which tent do you want? The one, one with, with the most poles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I don't. So the purpose of the poles was to create that device to pull the money from said to get room. to the other room. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you think this is one thing that confused me? So obviously, these guys there are there. Are they there on like coincidence though, or are they in his room? The other the the Mexican the Mexican guys. guys. Are I think they, they also have access to the transponder, so I think that they're also in the following. room, trying to figure out where it's yeah. at. So they are in. I would assume that they are in the room. Okay. Um, yeah, because Shigeru does ask we, when. Well, we'll get there. He he asks him, "How do you find it?" Remember yeah. to the one dude in the. So that does make sense. So they they probably got into uh, Moss's room. And so that's why he rented the one yep. in back. But okay, that that fits now. Mm-hmm. I was like, were they just staying there, you know, yeah, hanging no, out? No, no, no. no, they're there for him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in, in one of the more iconic scenes, uh, there's several iconic scenes we're going to talk about too here really quick. Um, he asks it, one of the guys, but he's scared to death of Jigger and rightfully so. Yeah. No, you should be. But yeah. So he is in the other room trying to retrieve the money. And this is like a tense scene. Shigeru is driving by and the transponder starts. So he finally finds the room. He goes and gets the room, not behind, but next to. Takes his shoes off. I'm assuming. So even before he does that, what he's doing is he goes into like the closet, stands in the doorway of the closet and puts his hands against the door frames to see what's in between. How hollow is it? Could mm-hmm. he shoot through that if he needed to? Yeah. 
goes through the bathroom, looks, at, you know, swipes the curtains, looks around. He's totally so he has an idea out. of what the other room is going to look like when he goes into it. Which is good. I mean, that shows how knowledgeable this guy right. is. Like, like I said, how much yeah. before planning and pre-planning. What makes him so scary is how smart he is. Mm-hmm. Yes, he ha- yes, he has a weapon, but it's not the weapon, it's the intelligence of the person who- who's wielding the weapon. Yeah, because everybody in this film has a weapon, <laughs> and they still don't play right. up to him. And what's great is as, so Sugar, uh, he's practicing, where's the light switch? So he kicks in the door, hits the light switch, and shoots the people who are waiting for Moss. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, <laughs> the room right behind that room... Moss, Moss is, is he's cut the, he's got the poles together. He sawed off the edge of his, uh, the barrel of his shotgun. He's taped coat hangers to the end of the tent poles and made a hook to retrieve the suitcase full of money. And he's hearing all of this happen. Happening. He has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know how many people are in there, who's shooting who. He just knows that someone or someones are being shot and killed. Yeah, you get that. And when Shakur breaks in there, he's like a tactical SWAT dude, man. He takes the one guy out on the bed. The other dude comes out of that uh, bathroom. And then there's another guy in there that's just cowering. Yep. And that's what he's we... in the in the, uh, in the the bathtub with his hands up. Uh, very scared. Shakur pulls the curtain of the shower and shoots Why the guy. Why do you think he does that? It's to set up the rule of three. We just talked about the rule of three. That's uh, the first rule of... The rule of three that gives away what really happens at the end. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well. Cliffhanger. We'll, we'll learn that at the end of the podcast. But yeah, yeah so he, he pulls the shower curtain. shower curtain and boom. And shoots the man. And that's this is where we're first introduced to his actual gun, though, as well. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's a silenced shotgun. Shotgun. Right. Apparently thing. is not a real thing. I don't know. Well, I don't think it's now. a silenced shotgun. It's supposed to be a silent shotgun. It's not a real weapon. It's one really? that's made for the book slash film. Mm-hmm. But it's modeled after a shotgun? That doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me because he's like, no, it's not a shotgun. There's no way. Absolute no way. Because he kills the driver in that uh, with like one shot to the head when he gets in that truck. Like totally like a sniper kill. Not like a shotgun kill. Shotgun wouldn't reach that the lengths to which that scene's coming up okay i'm gonna find it as you continue to talk about the next but yeah so sorry i've got my phone in my um, hand he gets the money out moss does um gets the hell out of dodge sugar's like "Mm," looking around he finally finds it he gets up there in the vent shaft and he can see the claw marks from yeah he sees the wheel marks yeah the wheel marks he's like oh i see what happened um and he's back on the hunt again but he's so calm about it he never gets frustrated i mean he just he's like okay gotta keep going then that's when it veers off and we're introduced to is it wells or not quite yet you're getting really ahead of yourself i thought wells was introduced Right after this, because they're like, he killed. We got a. Oh, a you're talking about the scene with Stephen Root. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the hospital scene. No, uh, no, not I, that scene yet. But yeah. we're introduced to this uh, guy named Wells that's played by Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. I don't want to cut you off. According to IMDb, the suppressor on Anton Sugar's shotgun was especially made for the movie. Such a device did not exist. The Coens had one invented. Hmm. So, at least according to 
IMDb, and I'm not a gun guy. No, Guns I'm just cool. saying. I'm just like saying, them, but I don't know enough about them to know. It doesn't make sense to this me much. when a shotgun would put one clean bullet hole through somebody's head in a truck and be that accurate. That just it, that could just be a plot hole or whatever. And I don't want to get focused on it because it doesn't even matter. Right. Um, but yeah, so we are introduced to Wells and this businessman of sorts. And they're very like business savvy people. They don't come off as assassins, but he's like, I need this. We need this fixed. What do you know? And this is the only time we get a little bit of backstory into Shigeru's character. Cause Wells is like, yeah, I know him. I knew him from about a year ago. That right. was my answer. I want to make sure that it worked. Uh, the single shots could have been slugs. Yeah. But even slugs are like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a gun nut, but I've shot slugs and that's like, right. Oh dude. That's... I was trying to come up with the right word. I'm like, it's not bird shot. Bird shot's yeah. the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> you have that Sorry. everywhere. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. Sorry. But, uh, Wells explains that yes, he does. He met sugar once and that basically he's a madman. He's a psychopathic killer, but so what? But, yeah, so what? And then that comes to bite him in the ass. But um, he agrees to go on this, like, you know, hunt as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he almost agrees to take care of Shigeru. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm going to all solve it all. I'll go do it. Uh, a line that I use all the time from this scene is uh, when Woody Harrelson goes to sit down, Stephen Newt says, did I tell you to sit down? Woody He's Harrelson like, says, no, you did not, but you seem like a man who wouldn't want to let a good chair go to waste. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't get a lot of backstory into who this company is, what mm -hmm. this is. And when he's leaving, he's like, I did notice, and I don't know if this is important, but he's like, I counted the floors to this building. Missing one. You're missing one. He's like, we'll look into it. <laughs> uh, I think it's just more of the weird quirks, quirks. about his character. Yeah. Um, and a little bit more carefree, I guess. Um, really interesting, though. The reason that is is because most buildings don't have a 13th floor. A 13th floor. floor. So. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. It uh, goes back to that. Superstition. Superstitions. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's what I was thinking when they brought that up in that film. But um, so we're introduced to Wells, and he's, he's a character that's introduced to add like a fourth element real quick. Um, but then we're right back to the pursuit. So now, um, this is where it gets really like tense for me. He, um, Shiger's on the track of, uh, God, I got so many names. Llewellyn right? Moss. Yeah. Llewellyn, Llewellyn Moss. And he checks into another hotel, hotel. Well, this one's probably like a hotel. It's actually mm -hmm. indoors and everything. He tells us, uh, he tells Alex, who's at the front desk. <laughs> tells me. He's like, I ain't asking you to do nothing illegal. Did you ever get weird stuff like that working in a hotel? Or uh, people, uh, whoa, this is much louder, sorry. Uh, <laughs> people um, will ask for rides for their friends and their prostitutes. Oh, really? They don't say, yeah, I like this hooker out of my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who don't know, uh, we've talked about doing music and schoolwork. I have a part-time job as well. Yeah. At a hotel. At a hotel. Yeah. I think it's cool, man. Like you probably meet a lot of interesting people or no, not really. Is it cause it's night shift? I met Bucky Lassick once. Oh. He didn't realize that I knew who he was. So I kept it cool. 
was like, here you go, Mr. Elastic. You're a pretty cool guy. I want you to go vroom on the skateboard. Llewellyn gets to this uh, this um, hotel, rents a room again, pays the front uh, reception guy some cash, and just goes out. It's like, just call me. If, if anyone checks in. And by anyone, I mean any swinging dick. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he says. And he goes up and he starts investigating the suitcase. And that's when he finds the, tra- the there ain't no way. transponder. And But we hear like a little bit of a disturbance in the background. It's weird when you watch this, how the sound design is made in this film. How many subtle things in the background that you don't pick up on at first. Like in the very beginning when the sheriff's getting strangled, there's a train in the background. Just like idling. It's like neither here there. I don't know. I'm getting on this tangent, but it's like it's the lack of like sound. They rely on sound and not music in the film. But you hear this disturbance, and all of a sudden, um, Mr. Moss is like, "What is? What was that?" So okay. grabs the phone to call the front desk and just keeps ringing. He's got the transponder, and he starts to notice the transponder oh, light right. on his is going is beeping faster and faster right and he's picked up the phone at this point to call mm-hmm. the front, front desk, desk no one answers no one's answered and then he notices a shadow well it's not that the light goes out in the hallway oh is it so the he's light? sitting in the dark uh no it is that you're right it is i thought it was a shadow it is the then shadow, and then the, the light, light goes off. out that's right yeah and then um he's like oh shit that's and then that's when we get the classic again this is like Shigur's entry tactic to blow up in the lock. Lock hits Llewellyn Moss, and he's sitting on the edge of his bed with his gun ready. Mm-hmm. He's you know, fully expecting him to kick the door down or yeah, or sneak in. And so he he shoots like one or two rounds through the door, grabs the case, hightails it to the fire escape, mm-hmm. and Heads then back through the lobby. And the phone is still ringing. That's why I like the idea where you pick up a phone to call. You hear the phone ringing. You uh, look down, the cat's drinking out of the spilled water or milk bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and we get a street pursuit. Yeah, and that's, he's getting shot at like no other. He's like, oh, shit, man. This guy, he's coming after me. Jumps in this truck. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to hurt you, poor man. Bullet right to this head. Um, I, yeah. Then mm. there's a. Then he tries to steal the, steal the truck, uh, but the dead man now in the driver's seat. It crashes into another car, mm. so he has to go back to escaping on foot. And then we get a shootout between the two mm-hmm. on the street. And he actually gets. Um, he's been shot now, and he actually shoots Sugar. Mm-hmm. Does he get a hold of Sugar's shotgun for a minute? Mm-mm. I thought he did. I thought he got the gun, but maybe not. You're probably yeah. right. Um, and then they both basically kind of retreat for the night to go to different pharmacies to try and heal themselves. Well, one goes to a pharmacy, the other doesn't. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Moss, Moss is on crosses the, the border and goes into Mexico. But this is the pays I, for a beer from these college no, kids. The best part about it is he's like, I'll pay you for that shirt or no, that no, jacket. Yeah. How much you want for that? I'll give you 50 bucks for that coat. And he, he pays him for it. And the guy's like, and a beer he's too. like, let me see your money first. 
there it is. Let him hold the money. So he gives him the money. And then the guy gives him the jacket. I think it's more than 50 bucks. I think it's like a hundred dollar bill. Something like that. And yeah. then he's like, I'll take that beer too. He's like, how much are you going to pay me for it? And the other friend's like, just give him the beer, dude. <laughs> it was awesome. And yeah. you have a recap of that very scene at the very end of the movie. Yeah. But it was with children. He's, uh, throwing the money over the fence. The, uh, I think it's the, it's the Rio Grande that separates yeah. Mexico from Texas. Something. And he's throwing it into the shrubs of the river. So he's not carrying the money into Mexico. Uh, and then the next thing we know as far as the Moss storyline is he's being <laughs> serenaded. Yeah, serenaded. <laughs> he wakes up to this uh, mariachi yeah. group and they're playing in cans of money to get him to a hospital. But I think we skipped that scene with the we skipped the scene somewhere in between this is a scene where the service station happens. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say something about and it. We, we skipped it a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Let's touch it, on that real quick. That's before he goes to the motel. It is. He's still, he's still in the little white car. Yep, he's still in search. Yeah. So that scene is probably the most... <laughs> I, was, I thought you were going to bring it up at the end and be like, you thought we forgot the gas station scene that Alex <laughs> referenced three or four times for me to talk about. <laughs> no. I just didn't want to step on your toes. I, uh, I was just like, what, what, I was like oh, hang on. We did forget this scene. It's a pivotal scene. <laughs> it's not necessarily pivotal, but it's one it, of the It's more not pivotal, but yes, scenes. it's... It, it does play on um, Shakur's character, though, a lot. Mm-hmm. Because it shows that he has these principles that he lives by and pretty much dies by. But I the, like to imagine that there's someone who's listening going, they fucking skipped it, dude. They skipped that part. I want to hear that part. Oh, yeah. He shows up. This you know, older gentleman is sitting there in this service station, really wide angle shot. And he comes in and disturbs the scenery. It's like, we're seeing this whole gas station and what this guy does. And then yeah, he gets gas station really in the middle of nowhere. And he then it shows up with like a planter, a little snack size of planters peanuts. Yeah. He's like, how much? 69 cents. And the and gas. Yeah. You guys get a lot of rain from your part. Up your way. What do you mean? My way. <laughs> It's so it gets yeah. so dead so quick. Yeah, and there's increasingly tighter and tighter shots. Shots. Um, My favorite part of this whole scene, though, isn't even the quarter scene with the coin toss. That's it's where he's like, um, "This is your service station" or whatever. He's oh, like, you missed. I thought you were going to talk about the classic line of just seeing where. I wonder if you get any rain where we've been. What business is it of yours where I'm from? Yeah, he, he, yeah, friendo. He friendo. gets into that. That is a great that's, line. I mean, that's like at the very at the very beginning. That's where the tension him. really begins yeah. because he's sitting there eating these peanuts, and he's like, he almost takes offense. He's like, "You mm-hmm. have no business in my life." But then he, he and those who who don't know, uh, Texas license plates have the county that you're from. Do they? And so when he says, "Get me rain up near Dallas," uh, if you lived in Dallas. Your license plate would say Dallas County. Dallas because you're from Dallas County. Okay. I wondered that too. I was like, yeah, how, how does he know how, that? Yeah, that's how he knows. Uh, here in Utah, it just says, Utah, Utah. go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason at telling what county you're from. Yeah. Except Tooele. Utah, just don't be gay. That's what our license plates say. <laughs> um, but my favorite uh, line in this is, he's talking about, is this your business? He's like, well, 
it's my wife's father's. He's like, <laughs> jokes on the peanuts. He's like, you married into, into it. it. <laughs> He's almost like taking pity on this mm-hmm. guy. He's like, you got screwed. If that's how you want to put it, there's no <laughs> other way to put it. That's how it is. <laughs> yeah. And the this scene is, it's not that long. It's only like, yeah, it's like two minutes. Yes. Yeah, I think but it's it seems, 30 minutes into the film. It seems like it's a 30 minute scene because the tension just keeps increasing right. and increasing. And it has, it plays off of, um, there's a term uh, in psychology called echolalia. That's where you repeat what someone says there's this idea of repetition mm-hmm. uh so it really plays off of uh Shigur is like this intimidating strange man that he has to repeat himself multiple times he's not repeating what somebody else says but he keeps repeating himself keeps parroting what he is saying yeah where uh he says what time do you close oh, dark yeah or now we, we close now now is not, not a time. time what time do you close and this is a super intimidating thing. He repeats that the lines he says over and over again, mm-hmm. and it just makes it far more menacing. Yeah, dark, yeah. We, we close it dark, <laughs> which is great because dark's not a time either. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when he finally, how much we lost yeah. on a coin. And then toss. he also goes, "You're a bit deaf, aren't you?" <laughs> he does do that. Uh, but this comes into uh, we talked about the uh, uh, like this idea of uh, probability or chance. Or uh, fate yeah. is one of the things that ties into this film, where he talks about um, the like the, this concept of the coin. It's uh, traveled. Uh, that's that's at the end. That's where he talks about how it's traveled, and uh, that's when he's. It, that's one of the very last scenes. But this this concept of fate of um, days on that quarter. No, that is at the end. And I'm in the same time loop you are. Um, <laughs> but this idea of chance, where we as an audience know because he's like something bad is gonna happen he's like you know what the date is on this quarter no 1968 it's traveled 22 years to get here and now you have to call it yeah he's like well i need to know what call it i stand to win yeah everything everything. yeah and and we get it as an audience and this is one of the very few times they're using music in the sense of its non-organic sound, mm-hmm. there's just this drawn-out note that's subtly getting louder and louder, but never like jump scare volume yeah. so loud. Um, and you you don't notice it until it's gone, which is what I like about it, because as soon as the guy calls, you know, heads or tails, and, and it's it's revealed that it's heads, music stops. Yeah, and the tone totally changes. He smiles. Well done. <laughs> don't put it in your pocket. Don't put that cord in your pocket. It just become another, another cord. cord. Which it is. <laughs> yeah. And then he doesn't even pay for the gas. Yeah, he, or the... For he paid a quarter for gas and a thing of almonds. And leaves. And leaves. All right. That, I mean, that's a great scene. That's It's a cinematic masterpiece of a scene that, will, yeah. that deserves to be in the Library of Congress or whatever they have. Um, it reminds me a lot of another movie that came out around the same time, which I know you said you haven't seen, which is There Will Be Blood. I did finally see. Oh, the you World did finally Blood. see. It. That's okay. the oil tycoon. The oil tycoon yep. with Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, so these movies came out around the same time in late 2005, early 2006. I want to say it was December of 2005 mm-hmm. uh, when these came out. Um, but that scene could be incredibly cheesy. It reminds me a lot of the milkshake scene from There Will Be Blood, where it's the acting. It's not the dialogue. The dialogue, almost, I'm not gonna say isn't very good. But it requires a lot on the actor's yeah, part. Yeah, it, it requires delivery and 
it can only be done tone. by certain actors. Yeah. And this, that, that seems definitely one of them where it relies on both characters. Oh, yeah, to for sure. To make that dialogue great. <laughs> now, now that I had to backtrack us to this scene, yeah. back well, on track. Why don't we go back... Uh, back on track with another great scene with Sugar at the store, and this time it's when he's at the pharmacy. And he um, blows the car up. Yep, blows the car up in front of the pharmacy so he can steal drugs. So what's happened is Llewellyn has gotten medical attention, and he's introduced to Carson Wells. Yes. Um, and That's so we when... see how one one group or one story gets <laughs> their help, and this is uh, being taken to the hospital by the... Uh, Mariachi, mariachi band. band. I almost said quinceanera band, <laughs> but uh, it's a party. Anyway, um, mariachi band, he winds up in the hospital. Carson Wells is waiting for him when he comes to and talks about how you don't get what you're up against. I'll let you keep some of the money. You just tell me where it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll get to keep some of it. You'll get away. Your problems will be gone. Um, and then, and again, more dark humor um, where uh, Carson Wells talks about how you know, he so much better than it. he has principles that transcend us and that as he's talking about the the parts of his principle and his character that's when Llewellyn says well he doesn't talk as much as you I'll give him credit for that <laughs> <laughs> but he basically puts up Wells basically says if you don't take this deal yeah. I found you he's probably two steps ahead of me yeah yeah he's not gonna find me I found you well, yeah exactly and he's alludes to some more but um yeah Shigur he blows up a car to get his yeah. medicine and then goes into a hotel and basically performs surgery on himself yeah basically if you've seen the original terminator film when the terminators like got his face all screwed up and he's like repairing his repairing hand. itself repairing the, are you talking about the that's the yeah hand? that's what he's doing he's, doing man. he's like totally doing that he sits in the bathtub Makes like an iodine spray, I think is what that is. Where he stabs the lid with a knife, washes out the shotgun wound in his leg. You know that scene's totally fictional, though. You can't actually do that with a car. Uh, I did not. Yeah, so when I was in the fire academy, they explained... Like, there was two things I learned from EMT and fire school. One was in EMT school... The classic thing is, uh, like in ER and Grey's Anatomy and all that stuff, they're always shocking that flat line. You, yeah, you can't shock flat line. You have to have a rhythm to shock because shock just provides uh, an electrical current to put the heart back into its normal rhythm. It won't start a rhythm. Another thing that I learned is you cannot blow up a car by putting gasoline or any sort of flammable fluid on the vehicle and sticking it in that hole mm. and i didn't believe it for the longest time i was like that's bullshit and then like our instructor literally had us all sit out by a car and he did it and we're all like it's gonna fucking blow up man let's get the fuck out of here and it didn't do shit was it, was it the uh, the pintos that were notorious for <laughs> hit him in the back and they explode yeah i don't know man but he he disproved it with maybe us. that's what it was but and I mean, maybe it's possible with certain vehicle models or something, but the one that he showed us didn't do shit. Yeah. So, but maybe it was the Delta, <laughs> the neighbor of the Delta from our last podcast. But yeah, it is a great scene though. It shows that he creates a distraction. He's already thought ahead. 
right to they, get his stuff yeah. and not get noticed and it's great yeah. so as everyone in the pharmacy is panicking he sneaks into the back he doesn't even sneak lab. man he just walks right well, back there well sneak i mean yeah relative term because everyone's being distracted by the exploded car oh for sure and he just casually walks in and walks out and he takes care of himself we get uh wells is still in the hospital and he's i think he's thinking now about taking not wells um uh, Llewellyn Moss. Llewellyn Moss it's is in the Josh hospital. Brolin. It's Thanos. Wells leaves the hospital, but then he gets tracked down. Well, even before that. Oh no, no, no! You're right. He gets you're tracked right. he gets down tracked by, down by Shigur. He's like, let's go to your room, oh, Carson. Let's go to your room. And again, just that the facial expressions that he makes very playful, but. In the context of the scene, it's very menacing. Yeah, it's sinister. It's it's just, bad. It's just like, the, oh, the grin and the big eyes, <laughs> and the subtle nod. He already knows I'm not a fuck. And the, that Woody Harrelson face, like God damn it. <laughs> and they they have a quick discussion, and basically, this is where you really see Sugar's character come out in the fact of he doesn't care about money. It's principle. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can take you. I'm a day trader. I'll go back. And I'll take you to an ATM right now and get you fourteen thousand dollars. Like, oh, an ATM. And he just literally. Boom. Well, no, one of my favorite things is uh, two really great lines. I think one falls the other is when uh, uh, Carson Wells says to Shaker, "Do you know how crazy you are?" Oh yeah, and that is. Shaker a... says, "You mean the nature of this conversation? <laughs> you go to hell." All right. He, and then he says, if the nature, if the if rule it, that you followed brought you to this, of what use was the rule? And I, oh, I love that line so much. So good. Just, again, the idea of, of principle and the way that he thinks. Yeah. Um, fuck, I, I love that line. And that's when, and that's um, when Moss, Moss calls, calls Carson Wells. He's yeah. like, the best the deal phone, you're going to get. Phone's ringing. Um, he looks... Uh, Shigeru looks at Wells to answer the phone, and Wells just stares at him. And that's where he shoots him in the chair. Yeah. Um, and then this, I talked about rules of three. This is the second rule of rule of three. First rule was pulling the curtain so he didn't get blood splattered on him. Mm-hmm. Putting his feet up so he doesn't get blood on his feet. Oh. So that's the right. second yeah, of our rule there of three. You go. And, and then, so Shigeru picks up the phone to talk to Llewellyn Moss. He's like, you know who this is. And basically he says, you know, I'm not coming after you right now. Yeah. And he says... Uh, I know where you are. And, oh yeah, you're at the hospital, but that's not where I'm going. Do you know where I'm going? Yeah, I know where you're going. And he's now figured out that he's in far more, and then immediately turns around. That's what I like in the, in the movie because it's just this pure, almost ego-driven sense. Yeah. Like he knows, oh, fuck, he's going to Odessa to get my wife. Well, I've decided to make you a special project of mine. Uh, so this immediate turn where Shigur says, look, I know where the money's at. I know where you are. I'm going to go get your wife. So you can either surrender yourself in the money and your wife will live or I'll take all of them. That's the best deal you're going to get. Yeah. And that's when he says, I'm such a make my special project. <laughs> Which he doesn't I'm have I'm a one. goonie. Goonies <laughs> never say die. <laughs> and yeah, so... Basically, he calls his wife, tells him to get on a bus and get out of there and go to this. Mm-hmm. And by now, Carla Jean 
is aware of what's happening uh, because she has met with Ed Tom. And we talked about what the this is where we find out about what the cat what that gun is, what that weapon is. It's the cattle gun. Yeah. Um where he's trying to tell her that he's in danger, Llewellyn's in danger, and the only person that can save Llewellyn is Ed Tom. And uh, again, Ed, where just the stress of work is getting to him. This is where he says, you know, I have that gun. Or, there used to be a guy who owned the farm of ways. And yeah. Tried to shoot a steer. Shot the steer and hit him in the arm. Now he came and tip his hat and say hello. The point is, even between man and steer, the contest is not certain. Because she's so sure that her husband's going to get away with it. And then that's when we learn about the cattle prod. And almost how they kill cows these days. Got a little thing... Shoots a needle about that big. The cow never knows what hit him. Yep. Why'd you tell me that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, My he... mind wanders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then it takes... Basically, this is part of the story that I don't get. I, okay. I realize that the mom and her get on this Greyhound bus. Then it's... It's the cartel that finds them, not Shigur, right? And you know how many people I know in El Paso? Zero. That's how many. She yeah. Hands up. She's got a, a zero. And you, she's talking to these. You see a Mexican these... in a suit. Yeah. Um, I've got the cancer. So Carla Jean and her mother are going to El Paso. And it appears that it's the drug dealers that have found him. That have found him first, even mm-hmm. before um, Sugar. Sugar. And Sugar is also uh, hot on the trail. He's once again picked up another vehicle, the chicken truck. I love that scene. He's like, are you going to attach those? Because he acts like he's, well, he is broke down, but he's like, you know, just kind of sitting there stranded. And he's like, can you get those chicken coops out of the back of the truck or whatever? What I like about this, he said, how would you, what airport would you take to get out of here? Where are you going? I don't know. Well, I've been there, brother. (laughs) Yeah. Would you mind getting the chickens out of the back? Indeed, this is the and then the, and then it's a hard cut to him at a uh, car, car wash station spraying the back of the <laughs> yes. truck. It's true. That's what he's doing. He's very particular. Um, but yeah, then we get this scene where, um, the mom and uh, Carly Jean. Carly Jean haven't shown up yet. They're still traveling there. Still traveling to El Paso. But, um, Llewellyn Moss. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Josh Brolin. Thanos. No, no, not the character's name. (laughs) It's. He was in that shitty Marvel movie years ago. No, I know who Llewellyn Moss is. I'm trying to, like, set the. He's at a pool or something, right? He's at a hotel and he's going to the, uh, going to his room. And there's a woman there who's like, hey there. Wanna, I can't remember what she says. What she she wants it. him to go drink beer with him. Yeah. And he's like, no, ma'am, I'm, uh, I'm married. married, waiting for my wife. And she's like, that's who you keep looking out the window for. He's like, well, yes, ma'am. She's like, well, you can come have some beer. He's like, I know what beer leads to. Beer leads to more beer. I'll bring it out here. You can keep a beer. And what I like about this is uh, this is one of the few, if I shouldn't say if any, um, movies that is better than the book. And in the book, this is an entire subplot on his way to El Paso. Have you read the book? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Llewellyn picks up a hitchhiker and has an affair. 
And that's how they address it in the movie. There's a few other examples, but this is the most prominent example. Right? I'm really glad they cut that out because uh, it keeps Llewellyn's character a little bit more pure mm-hmm. and a little bit more family kind of driven, if you want to think of it in that sense. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Um, and then we, after, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, the next time we see the scene, uh, see the hotel, uh, we're following Ed Tom as he's driving there. And this vehicle just creams out of the parking lot, up on two wheels, back down, screeching and hollering. Woman by the pool has been shot and killed. She's floating in the water. And um, Ed, Ed Tom knows exactly what's, what's go- happened. What's happened, yeah. He walks up and we see... Walks in there. Llewellyn's dead in, the, in his hotel room. Do you like the fact that in the movie they didn't show his death? Mm-hmm. absolutely because I, I like how you you find out about it with the main character because again um Llewellyn moss is not the main character mm-hmm. this is a story about tommy lee jones's character so you're finding out about this at the same time he does and um it's a pivotal point in the movie because it's is where the movie kind of begins to slow down yeah and he meets with the local uh, I want to say it's the, the sheriff because it's not, he's not from El Paso. So yeah, he, any he basically tells these people, yeah. call the police. Call the police. I'm not on the radio. Yeah, I'm not on the radio. Um, so he's meeting with, uh, I want to say it's another sheriff, someone that's of his age, not the young idiot Wendell. Yeah, almost that he's acquainted with too right. slightly. Um, and uh, they, they're they talking. Talking at a, a restaurant. About, he would have told me We'd have people green, green hair, hair and bones in their noses walking down. I wouldn't know. Does I like it? It's just the changing of times. Yeah. I think is basically. And that's, yeah, and that's a, a, again this big emphasis on the world is passing. You know, what this movie kind of is. It's um, it's coming of age story. A coming of age story, of but for retirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> coming of age for someone who's already of age. Yeah. <laughs> coming <laughs> of age. But yeah, they have that that discussion um and that's when he decides to go back to the scene of the crime this is a weird scene because he i i you don't know why but my assumption is he knows that there's more that he's missing Mm -hmm. um an establishing shot of the of the room dark room um and he's got his gun and he's got it drawn he doesn't have wendell there to be his human shield well First, he shows up, though, and he notices what he's seen in a couple of these scenes. The lock is blown out. Mm-hmm. So he knows yeah. that our assassin is either here or has been here. Yeah. And uh, and then you get this, like, back and forth. And sh- you you see, like, Shigur in there. But mm-hmm. is he in there, really? He's almost I, like a phantom or something. Yeah, I assume that he is. I assume because he knows where the money's been hidden. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's there is to make sure that he gets the money. Oh, yeah. He gets and the money. Cause yeah. And it establishes the, the vent. With the, the coin. coin. Yeah. Again, showing without telling. I really like that aspect of. But I, I guess I, what I'm saying is, do you think he was in there when Tommy Lee Jones that, went in? That's what I'm saying. I assume he was. Oh, okay. I assume he was. I'm not 100% certain. And no one knows. Like I, I looked up a couple things on this and yeah. it's just kind of in the air yeah i would assume that he is because we don't know and i don't think we i don't think ed tom knows about sugar Mm -hmm. so 
it wouldn't make sense to have him visualizing a, an, a bad guy and have it be yeah for sure so i think it's a very literal scene not a metaphor if it, if, if it was a metaphor it would literally be the only one in the movie and it would be very out of place mm-hmm. and from there we get he like takes a breath sits down he assumes the room is empty and um there's a sense of relief that oh well there isn't anyone in here but he didn't really check he just looked in the door and then sat down mm-hmm. um again really showing that we this see. world is is passing him by yeah and we see that the money's gone the coin yeah. all of that and then we're off to the final little chapter of uh Shiger's story well not quite uh because we have well I, I guess we can go there there's three really important scenes left in the movie mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about the sugar one if, if you want i mean just to keep them together so tell us about the sugar scene so sugar basically shows up at this home yeah a really great shot of the casket going down um at a, a funeral mm-hmm. and we see carla jean standing by herself with the yeah, funeral obviously it's and it's her mother her. who's died and um she gets home to this uh, is it it's not her home i think it's her mother's home i have no i would assume it's her mother's home something like that because they live in the trailer park and Jigger's there waiting for her and he basically tells her she she comes in and actually tells him she's like well you don't have to do this but i already know what my fate kind of is with you and he's like well i i i always uh keep my word yeah and I, your, your husband had a chance to save you. And he exactly. But then he gives then, her the chance. He's like, right. he well, he the, also says, you know, with the coin flip, mm-hmm. uh, the coin's got nothing to say about this. And he says, the coin got here the same way I did. But she refuses. And it's, it, we never see her get killed, but it's assumed. Rule, rule of three. He checks his shoes when he leaves the house. Oh, is that no it? On them. So, uh, when people say they don't understand the ending of this movie, they're stupid. They don't like movies. Get the fuck out of here. If you want, if you listen to this and you're like, I hope we find out what happens at the end, you're stupid. <laughs> this movie is so straightforward. You just have to watch movies because you enjoy art, not because you like to watch things go kaboom, explodey. Yeah, yeah and Sugar leaves. He's in a car. And he almost falls prey to his same saying about rules mm-hmm. and following rules. Mm-hmm. He gets to a stoplight. Right. It's, uh, it's yeah, green. It gets T-boned. He <laughs> goes through and gets T-boned. And you got to move to natural fucking <laughs> Yeah. Pays and this is sure. where we get a remake of the scene where um, Llewellyn's, crossing, Llewellyn's the bridge. crossing the bridge. But now it's with very much younger individuals. Two young kids. <laughs> and he's like, oh. Here's this money. I need your shirt. Oh, you never hell, see Mr. me. I'll let you have your shirt. And then he's gone. Tie this, tie this for me. Here's some extra money. You didn't see me. Yeah. And then the one kid's like, no, knock it off. You still got your damn shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, some of that money's mine. Yeah. Um, and he just escapes. He gets out. Uh, again, he almost like floats away like a phantom or a yeah. ghost. So like he so, is death personified or something. Yeah. So he gets know. that instant karma of, kills the wife and then he gets hit mm-hmm. um but as far as we know he's escaped um he's also by this time killed steven root's character 
uh, not something that's pivotal to the plot. So, I mean, it's, it's something that's easy to, to skip over. Um, but he's basically gotten revenge on everyone who's wronged him throughout the film. Oh, yeah, because he goes into that big building mm-hmm. and just shoots him right in the neck. Shoots him in the neck. And the, the accountant shot. there is like, are you going to shoot me? It depends. Do you see me? Um, which is, again, I didn't even think about that until you said death. Because, again, a lot of people think that Anton Chigurh represents death. Um, there are two people in the movie that he encounters that we don't know and we assume don't die. And that would be the woman who is the manager at the trailer park and the accountant. In the office. Everybody else he enca- uh, encounters with gets... Oh, oh, the gas station guy. But he gets the coin flip. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. It, again, that more more of the concept of not just chance, but a collection of chance. When he talks about the coin guy here the same way I did. How this coin's traveled all this way to get here, and now here it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, almost a two-face from Batman. Maybe you would argue that. Where you're flipping the coin. Uh, speaking of Tommy Lee Jones. Um, <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, I forgot. He's yeah, he's, he's two face in uh, which one is that? Is that Batman and Robin? The Dark Knight Rises? I uh, know. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, one of those. It's either ba- one with Batman George Forever, Clooney. I think was is it, is it Batman Forever? Batman, yeah, because Batman and Robin, I think, was the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman. Yeah, something. <laughs> That's good. Anyway, uh, so this idea of chance, uh, really, uh, I, and, I, and that's why I don't necessarily think he represents death. In the what? sense of chance. I'll tell you why I think he does, if someone's going to argue he does, in a minute when we talk about my favorite scene in the movie, which is, um, it actually happens before this scene, but it, it's the end, near the end of the Tommy Lee Jones arc. So, basically, we get, like like an ending to that scene and we finally go to Tommy Lee Jones is retired. Well, before that, or, so I told you, like, I was like, we can talk about the sugar scene if you want. So we're not jumping back and forth. Um, Tommy Lee Jones goes to visit. I think it's his uncle. Oh yeah. And he and drives out there and his uncle's like, out. I knew it was your truck. I saw you pulling up. Um, again, all those cats. great casual, casual banter, uh, between the two. Uh, they're talking about his, no, his uncle or something. How did you know an uncle? How did uncle blah, 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 die? He died? Blah, no, no. I don't, not when did he die. How did he die? Yeah. He tells a, a story about his uncle being shot by uh, some Indians mm-hmm. on his land. Shot through the lung and while everyone was panicking, uncle wasn't panicking because he knew he was done. Um, and then this is why... When I, when I think of uh, Anton Trigger being death, I don't think of it with chance. I think of it in when uh, his character, the, not Tommy Jones, but the uncle says, you can't stop what's coming. Yeah, it's almost inevitable. Yeah, you can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. Yeah. And that is why, if we're going to talk about how it's it follows or he represents death, you can't stop Anton Trigger from coming. You can't stop the end from happening. Yeah. Because it's going to happen. For sure. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones has told the friends and family at this point that he's retiring. So uh, that's part of why they go to talk uh, about him being done with the force and how it's just become too much. 
And then yeah, that's the, where we get the, to the ending scene. Yeah, the very ending scene. He's talking with his wife about what he's going to do for the day. But then he also starts talking about these dreams he's had. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like, maybe I'll go riding. Maybe I can help you out around the house. She's like, oh, no, don't you do that. Right. Then he's, he talks about these dreams and it's he, like he's trying to interpret them. And it's, I love him talking about his dreams and what it means because it encapsulates what the movie is. And how he talks about how he's older than his father ever was. But in his dreams, he's still the younger man because he is the one who is being consumed by the horror of the new world. Yeah. Where his father is ahead leading the way and fighting the old or the good or the uh, the fight, basically. Yeah. He's like, he has a horn and then that horn is a flame. I can see the flame from far away. And it's really a reflection on how his father would have known how to handle the situation. His father was a strong man and he's not. And again, it's like he's quitting. It's not, he's leaving. It's not, he's too old. It's the world has passed him by and his father was a leader and he wasn't. Yeah. I kind of, it's a, it's a very bleak, sad end note, but it's also true. Like this happens, you know. Yeah, it's, and I think that's part of why people don't like the ending is because it's it's not good guys happy. don't win. Yeah, no, exactly. It's and I think audiences they love that. Yeah, they love the typical ending, and this one does not have that. Yeah. There's, it shows that sometimes evil does triumph over. Yeah. Good, no matter what you do. Um, it's, the, it's the complaint that I have with things like um, The Office and Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. The last episode is everyone gets what they want. Life is happy and the best it could possibly be for everybody involved. And here it's the exact opposite. No one got what uh, they wanted. <laughs> our characters are dead. Uh, Ed Tom, sorry, uh, Llewellyn's dead. His wife is dead. The bad guy got away. The one who came to help Llewellyn is dead. And our main character is in his, a... has realized that he is too old to carry on and that the world basically frightens him in the sense of crime is more dangerous and terrifying than he could have ever imagined. Oh, yeah. And it's such a downer note. And I remember seeing it and people go, there's got to be more, right? Right? No. Right? There's not. Yeah. On that, though, is that what you said you wanted to touch on your favorite scene? or That was my favorite scene. That the is scene where he is talking to, to his uh, wife. and just No, no, no. Talking to the... Um, her, to I, his I, 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 I want to say it's his uncle. My phone is now dead. I'm sorry. I can't get the phone. No, I think it's his okay. cousin. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because they're talking his about his cousin. uncle. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that scene because it just summarizes what the movie is about, in my opinion. That... Um, there are things in your life that are inevitable and you are not special from that. Yeah. You exactly. are not the exception to the rule. And I think that's a hard lesson to learn because we all want to be the exception to the rule. And we're we all, not. Yeah. We all want to go out in the sunset and everything's good at all times or everything will get better mm-hmm. type thing. And sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah. You can't stop the inevitable. And like I said, that's where if someone's going to say that, Shukur represents death. I think it's summarized 
in there because you you had, I'm glad you had mentioned it follows because that's what it reminds me a lot mm-hmm. of that you can't escape what's going to happen when he took that money he couldn't escape the fact that he was going to die yeah when Carson decided to team up and try and help uh, help Llewellyn he knew uh, well he didn't know, he knew that Sugar was would be after him but didn't realize that at that point he was on the it follows chain yeah exactly. And I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill you and take the money, or I'll kill you, take the money and kill your wife. No, you're not. You can't stop what's happening. You can't stop what's coming. Yeah, I think that's. You can't. The inevitable is going to happen, whether you want it to or not. Yeah, and I think that that's a big lesson that this movie can teach you. <laughs> but you have to be open to it. Mm. And I think being open to it is good because sometimes. I think a lot of people waste too much damn time trying to avoid the inevitable. Right. Do you have any little last thoughts on this? There was one other theory that I had heard about this movie. I had read online. I don't know how much I buy it, but I like it. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Sigmund Freud and his ideas of the conscious and the unconscious. But there's an idea that our three main characters represent the three forms of consciousness according to Freud. Uh, the id, the ego, and the superego. The mm-hmm. id is your death and sex drive, your uh, thanatos and libido. So what character would that, that be? That would have been Anton Chigurh. Your superego is your morality, which would be Ed Tom. And your ego mediates between the two, which would have been Llewellyn. Wow. I don't know how much I buy into that because uh, there's no libido in Chigurh's character at all. <laughs> yeah. It's all death drive at that point. Um, I would almost say it would be the opposite that it would be, he would be the, the ego. Cause he has that set of principles where Llewellyn's character tends to be a little bit more unhinged mm-hmm. in those types of situations. Um, but I really liked that thought, but I, again, I don't necessarily think that that's true. Uh, I also like that, um, our three main characters never share screen time. No, well, no, they don't. They're never on the screen at the same time. All right, you're now, right. Now, the closest you get, there's a phone call, and then there's the hotel room scene. But, they, but they're yeah, not in the same room. You never get they're any never... clash between... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And the other thing I like about this film is Carla Jean is the only one to interact with all three. Yeah, she is. Yep. That's it. No one else interacts with all three of the characters. The things you figure out when you watch it and you read the book, right? Yes. You did say you read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one do you enjoy more? I like the movie a lot more. Uh, there are very few uh, exceptions to the book is better than the film. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely one of them for me. Is it a long book or is it shorter? It's, I don't know. I like want to say it's like 300, 300 300 pages, pages yeah. book. Um, and it follows the story almost verbatim, but they cut out, the Coen brothers cut out a lot of what I think is filler. And I agree, it's very filler. So they do a really good job of addressing those points, but moving on from them. Yeah, really like, to like you said when we first started this episode, it's paced very well. There's no boring moment in this film. Yeah. There's never a moment you're just like, mm, okay, worthless conversation. It's just go from start to mm-hmm. finish. And it is. It's like two hours long, but you don't feel yeah. at the end doesn't of it. doesn't feel its length. No, you're like, I uh-huh. just watched two hours worth of a movie. It felt like I watched a 50-minute TV show. Yeah. Because it flies by. Yeah. Well, that's all I have to say about this one. This was a long episode, but we covered a lot of topics in it. Um, 
yeah, if you haven't seen No Country for Old Men, go give it a shot. If you watched it in the past once, like I did, and hated it at first, you were probably just stupid at You're that wrong. time in your life, and you need to give it a chance yeah. again. I, when we were super sick and talking about this, this is like my benchmark for if I respect someone's opinion on film. I'm not saying you have to love this film, but if you're like, that movie was bad, or wasn't good, or was too long, get, don't fucking talk to me about movies. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to think this is the masterpiece of all masterpieces. Uh, but when you watch it, you go, oh, it wasn't very good. Well, this is one up. you got to respect. There's there's yeah. movies out there I think you have to respect. It's mm-hmm. the same premise of like Schindler's List. I'm not a huge fan of that film, but right. I do respect it for its cinematic value. Yeah, um, I feel that way about a lot of Quentin. We'd mentioned Quentin Tarantino. I don't like a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies. And mm-hmm. when I do, it's small chunks. But I love the way that he goes about making movies, how he shoots movies, how he writes, and his, his unique storytelling vision. Um, they're not for me. I guess if I, that's a better word for it. Uh, th- you can watch this movie and say, I don't really like film noir. I really don't like a Western because it has a lot of aspects of a Western. Yeah. So necessarily Western. I don't really like a coming of age story, but for what it is, it is fantastic. And I respect what it does. It just doesn't click with me. There's that, that's a totally separate argument than I don't like this movie is not good. And I think that's, that's a, a poor thing that we as, a dumbed down society have started to do. Like I realize when a movie is just a, um, enjoyable film, like it's not cinematic genius or anything like that. And I can watch it and like, Oh, that's cool. But you know, nothing great about it, but it was enjoyable. I also realize when a film has a lot of artistic talent and input into it and still not enjoy it, mm-hmm. but it seems like people teeter on one, edge or the other they either love it or it's fucking garbage yeah. it's like and what are you talking shit like just you know it's amazing and we can talk about this you know in another another rant for another day but <laughs> the concept of if i don't like it it's not good yeah it's and totally ridiculous yeah and like so yeah, blown yeah, that's, out yeah, that's not a real thing just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's not good there are things that don't click and that's okay it's okay to not have something click but to be able to recognize it for what it is, I think, is an important quality to have. Well, I think that's a great line to end on. So, anyways, you guys have a great evening, night, morning, wherever you are listening to us. And thanks for listening to this episode. Um, check us out on Patreon. If you go over there, you can support the show. We do bonus content, bonus episodes, and stuff over there. Every little bit of money helps because this is not free for us. We have to pay hosting fees and things like that. And who's going to buy that beer you're drinking? (laughs) You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, CastBox, and check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Other than that, don't get caught in a Mexican drug cartel conundrum if you see a suitcase full of money just leave it there the man with a bad haircut will come after you <laughs> yeah you guys have a wonderful night we'll talk at you later